One, as we begin our series of messages on the Christmas story, and uh, what a great season is ahead of us. There's a lot of things coming in the next few weeks. I hope you'll be a part of all of it. In fact, starting tonight at 4 o'clock right here in our gymnasium, which is in the back of the property, uh, we have our Christmas at River City celebration. It's a family fun event, something for all the kids and teenagers and adults to do, and lots of good food. We want you just to encourage you to be there. All you got to do is maybe bring a side dish or a dessert. We take care of the meat and other things like that. And of course, if you don't have anything to bring, that's okay. Come anyways. I'm sure there'll be plenty of food there for you to enjoy, but it is a great, great season, and uh, tonight begins our formal celebration as a church, and I hope you'll make it out there for that event. Well... Nobody really announces a formal beginning of the Christmas season. It just kind of happens. All of a sudden, all the stores change. And all of a sudden, Christmas lights are everywhere. And before you know it, all your favorite radio stations are turned to 24 hours, 7 day a week, Christmas music. At our house, we start somewhere like July, I think. And interestingly enough, Christmas always is special and memorable to us for different reasons. It may be the lights, it may be the family gatherings, it may be the food, it may be the presents. And certainly I think for most of us, we would say that we at least in some measure enjoy some of the songs. And there's all kinds of variety of songs. There are sentimental songs that we all like. Um, I, I love just the Christmas song. It's a great song. Uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, which we just need to keep dreaming down here, okay? But we have enjoyed songs like that, or silly songs that our kids always like, like Jingle Bells. Or some of you more spiritual people like Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. But then on a more serious note, there are songs, carols, that have united us as believers and have annually been sung as a reminder of how great our God really is. And what actually happened at Christmas is expressed to us in a variety of gospel songs. Like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Maybe one of the greatest songs ever written. Uh, just listen to the words of the second stanza of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Christmas is about Jesus. In fact, this morning... Uh, my wife had to leave early to come here and practice music, and I had to stay at home with our three smallest kids, which is always an adventure. Now, we don't call it babysitting when you're a dad, okay? You cannot call what we do babysitting. It's called parenting, okay? And so there I was with our three little kids. I had about 45 minutes to spare, and I thought, hey, this is great. Great opportunity to uh, turn on, you know, a Disney Christmas special, okay? And so I turned on this Disney Christmas special, which was a sing-along, and and it was just various artists singing and with cartoons in the background. And, 
and, and about two songs in, I can't remember what the lyric was or what the person said, Ashley turned to look at me and she went this really disgusted look on her face, which if you know Ashley, that's actually her kind of standard face, okay? She looked at me completely disgusted and said, Dad, that's not what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus. And I said, yeah, that's exactly right. And it is about Jesus. And it's very easy for us to let that be eclipsed by commercialism, by parties, by celebrations, by uh, radio, by all kinds of means. But let's not forget that what we are actually celebrating is the birth of the Son of God. And that it has been expressed to us in songs throughout the ages that have really captured what it actually means. In fact, in the Bible, at the first Christmas, which is recorded in Luke and in Matthew, there are at least three songs that are sung in those text accounts. They're actually the original Christmas carols, if you will. And today we're going to look at one of those, probably the most famous of all of them. It's the Christmas carol sung by Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, it is sometimes called the Magnificat by some, which is a, a Latin phrase, which means magnify. And the reason we get that is from the verse that I'm going to read for you in verse number 46 of Luke's Gospel, chapter number 1. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his handmaid or his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And, his, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Amen. I want to take a look at this Christmas song, the original Christmas song. And I want to focus our message this morning on the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas songs. And let's pray and ask God to help us as we study this morning. Lord, would you bless this message and would you help us as we look at your word to learn uh, theology, to learn humility, to learn gratitude from this story and this account. Oh Lord, we are eternally and forever grateful for the privilege that we have to study the truths of the Bible together as a church. And for these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Mary's song presents us this morning with three truths that Christmas songs can bring to our hearts. The first one that we see is the inspiration of her song. Notice, if you will, in verse number 46, and it says, And Mary said, My soul does magnify the Lord. Now, obviously, when you, when you read this text in verses 46 through 56, you know that this song was birthed in a circumstance, just like most songs are. Most songs have a story. And the story of the song produces the content of the song. In fact, if you listen to like K-Love Radio, uh, I think they have a, a, a spot every day that says the story behind the song. And the artist will come on and the artist will say, I wrote this song and these were the circumstances and this is what was happening. In fact, it's always kind of unique and neat, isn't it? 
to see what it was that birthed or produced a particular song. I think of a, a, a Christmas song, uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And many of you have heard that song. It's actually a, a rather old song and churches don't sing it so much anymore. In fact, I think it was just a few years ago that uh, the band Casting Crowns kind of repopularized the song with a modern tune. But did you know that song was birthed out of a tragic experience? In fact, it was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow who on Christmas Day 1863 heard church bells calling the church to worship. And in his writing of the song, he had just become widower. His wife died after her dress caught on fire. He tried everything to restore her, but she passed away, leaving him to raise six children on his own. His oldest boy had just been sent off to war in the Civil War. And he had just literally days before received word that his oldest son had been shot in action. The original report was that he'd been shot in the face. Fortunately, he wasn't. But he was, uh, he was permanently damaged by a bullet wound that went through his shoulder. And just a few days later, having lost his wife, having uh, uh, serious questions about the health of his son... And now the Christmas bells have begun to ring on Christmas Day. And he calls himself to question what the song was, uh, what the bells were about. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. They're old, familiar carols play. And then I thought to myself, is there peace on earth? It's a, it's a very interesting song. I invite you to maybe listen to it after church day. It's not a, it's not a major chord song. It's a minor chord song. It's a song that reminds us that, you know what, Christmas is not always great for everybody. In fact, yesterday I visited with the family of Luella Henderson, who just passed away, a member of our church, uh, uh, just this past Friday. And I sat with her sister, who's also a member of our church, and other family members. And I thought to myself, and I, and I expressed this to them, you know what, Christmas will never be the same for you. And we could try to sugarcoat it and try to make it look uh, all that we would want it to be. And it's all festive and all lights and all joy and all happy. But the fact of the matter is, it's not like that for everybody. And yet, in the song that, uh, that Longfellow wrote, he actually comes alive by the end of the song. And his hope is actually restored in God again. And the truth of the matter is, you can face this season even with sorrow and brokenness and loneliness because Jesus is our only hope. In fact, we've been singing a song around here the last couple of weeks, Come All Ye Unfaithful. That may have caught you. We love the song, Come All Ye Faithful. And we want to talk like we're all faithful and we've all got it all together. But the truth of the matter is, most of us don't, including me. I identify more with unfaithful, unanswered prayer, struggling, weary, lonely, and many of you do as well. And here's the truth. This song has a story. And what is the story that Mary is singing about? Simply put, she received a heavenly visit from an angel and a confirming visit by her a relative Elizabeth, both proclaiming to her that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now think about this. Mary, who very clearly in Matthew chapter number 1, has never been with her husband Joseph. They've never consummated a marriage. They've never been intimate together. She is approximately 15 years old. Imagine being 15 years old. You are pregnant. You are overwhelmed by uh, the, 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 the reality that you have been 
you have been anointed and appointed by God to carry the Son of God into this world and give birth to him. It would have been scary, it would have been frightening, but that's what she's singing about. She's singing not only personally about the fact that the one that she was going to give birth to was going to be the very one that was going to rescue her. But she didn't just sing about her individual rescue, she sings about the rescue of Israel also. Hey folks, she knew exactly what was told her. She knew who Jesus was. And I love the song, Mary, Did You Know? But I got to tell you, she knew who this was. And you read this song that she sings in Luke chapter number 1, and there is no question. She knew what had happened. What had happened? God had fulfilled his promises. What had happened? God had sent a Savior. What had happened? Her lowly estate was rescued. What had happened? Israel and the nation were going to be forgiven and redeemed by grace through the Son of God. And friend, I want to tell you this. You can sing whatever songs you want to sing this holiday season, but can I encourage you that the greatest song we can all sing... Something we can all agree on today is that Christ was born and our Savior has come. And we've got reason to sing this Christmas season, don't we? The inspiration of her song. Let me quickly show you, secondly, the humiliation of her song. The humiliation of her song. Notice what it says in verse 48. He has regarded the lowly state of his maid servant. Guys, this is an unlikely story with an unlikely servant. In the story of Christmas, there is the intermingling of the natural and the supernatural. There is the very ordinary and the very extraordinary. A woman is going to have a baby. Well, that's ordinary. That's natural. The baby is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit himself. Now that is extraordinary and supernatural. Folks, what is being taught in Matthew chapter number 1 and Luke chapter number 1 is nothing other than the absolute clear-cut doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. What is significant about Christmas? It's not just that another baby was born. It is the Son of God was born. And it's not just that he was born. Listen very carefully. It was how he was born. Now, church, you cannot quickly move past the reality of how Jesus was born. It is significant. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a non-negotiable, fundamental tenet and doctrine of Christianity. In fact, I believe it's stuck, come on, I believe it's stuck at the beginning of the Christmas story to simply say to everyone who would peek in, hey listen, here's something supernatural that you need to believe on the front end. And if you can't believe this, there's really no reason for you to go any further and look down the road anymore. Folks, you say, I just can't believe it, this is crazy. This is, are you telling me that, 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 that Jesus was born in the womb or from the womb of a woman who was a virgin and never been with a man? Answer, yes, I believe that. You say, why do you believe that? I believe it for several reasons. Number one, I believe it because that's exactly what God said would happen. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, And a virgin shall conceive and be with child, and she will bring forth a son. Isaiah 7, 14. I believe in it secondly because it highlights the supernatural. Friend, I am just here to tell you, if you can't believe the virgin birth, there's going to be a lot about the Bible you're going to have a hard time believing. You're going to have a hard time believing that Jesus uh, healed the sick, 
raise the dead. You're going to have a hard time believing that once they crucified him on the cross three days later, he kicked the ends of a grave out and walked out on its own two feet alive forevermore. You're going to have a hard time believing that God can supernaturally resurrect you from the grave by you putting your faith in him and him alone and completely transforming your destination from lost to saved, from hell to heaven. But all of it is supernatural. Why did we need to believe in the virgin birth? Because we affirm the supernatural. We affirm that God is a God of miracles. But thirdly, let me hasten to say this. We believe in the virgin birth because it reinforces the reality that salvation is not a work of the flesh. Honestly, childbirth is the natural production of married people coming together and having children. It's natural. It's the work of people. It is a miracle, of course. We know that, that every good and perfect gift is from above. And we know that God is the one that orchestrates that miracle. But in the truest sense of the word, it is people coming together. And I think there's just a little exclamation point in the virgin birth that says, this salvation is not going to come the normal way that people think it's going to come. It is going to come supernaturally. It is going to come miraculously. Folks, if you're to ask the average person out here in Jacksonville, Florida, how do you know you are going to heaven when you die? First of all, you're probably and likely going to hear, I don't know that I know. But if I were to ask somebody and try to pin them down and say, well, you tell me, how would you tell me to get to heaven? If I did not know how to get to heaven or how to get to God or how to have my sins forgiven, what would you tell me? Their answer is going to be something very natural. They may say something like, well, just go to church. Or just get baptized. Or just give generously to any particular charity. Or do your very best. I mean, look, you're going to have some bad days. You're going to have some good days. Hopefully when it all shakes out, your good days are going to outweigh somehow your bad days. You know what that is? That's human reasoning and human wisdom and a man-centered gospel. Listen very carefully. If you get to heaven, it's not going to have any effort on your part at all that redeems you, that saves you, that forgives you of your sins. The bottom line is every religion in the world except true Christianity will say it's whatever you do. You have to do something in order to gain God's favor. But I'm here to tell you, Christianity is not about do, it is about done. It is about what Jesus has already done for us. It is supernatural. Not only is this an unlikely story, but it's an unlikely servant. She She is called in this text, watch this, the maid servant. May I say that the centerpiece of this story is not Mary, it is Jesus. And if you'll notice very carefully, she talks about the fact that she needed his mercy, that she needed his salvation. Notice verse 47, he is God my Savior. In fact, when you go to Matthew's account and you see the wise men coming, I think we're going to look at that next week. But they come and the Bible says they fell down, watch it, and worshipped him. It doesn't say they worshipped her. Mary was not worshipped, Jesus was. Come on. Mary is not your savior. Jesus is. 
Mary needed a Savior just like you do. Yes, she was a special woman. Yes, she was a godly woman. Yes, she was uniquely chosen by God. But she needed Jesus just as much as you do. Which leads me to a very good point. It doesn't matter how much you go to church. It doesn't matter how good you are. You need Jesus. Nobody is so good that they do not need to be saved. And nobody is so bad that they cannot be saved. You need Jesus. And I'm so thankful over the last just couple years here at River City, people who have been at church, been a part of church, been a part of this church, have come to the realization that although they had been to church, they had never personally been to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, just last week, we baptized Brother Jesse back there. And Jesse came to me and said, Pastor, you're not going to believe this, but I've been in church all my life. I've been in church all my life. And not one time has anybody asked me if I had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's tragic. And I'm thankful for someone who realized it has nothing to do with my church membership. It has everything to do with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You would have not looked at Jesse or Troy four weeks ago, a man in his 50s who got saved here at our church on his own. He said, Pastor, I just I never had peace in my heart that I had personally accepted Christ. If you would have looked at Troy and you would have looked at his life, you would have looked at what he was doing with his life, you would have never looked at him and said, man, that guy needs to be a Christian. We always look at people who are down and out, broken, on the wrong side of the tracks, doing the wrong kind of things, and we all say they need to be saved. A friend, it's not they need to be saved, it's we need to be saved. And the unlikely story is how Jesus came. The unlikely servant is who he chose to come to and through in order to bring us salvation. i got to tell you, if there is ever an unlikely candidate for salvation, you're looking at him. And if there's ever another unlikely candidate for salvation, just get yourself a mirror and take a look because all of us are unlikely. All of us, come on, all of us are undeserving. All of us outside of Christ, outside of grace, are in trouble. But thankfully, Jesus came to those who need him. Number three, finally. I want you to see the exaltation of her song. You see, the inspiration of her song was the news that she got. The, the humiliation of her song was that she realized this was an unlikely story and she was an unlikely person just like the rest of us. But thirdly, we see the exaltation of her song and really the bulk of this song is about exalting the person of God. Do you realize in these, these nine verses... There are 20 references to God in these nine verses. 20. That means about two per verse is a reference of God. And I want to tell you, the best song you could ever sing is a song about God. She says, he's my savior. She says, he is mighty. He scatters the proud. He brings down rulers. He sends away the rich. You can read it all there. It's in the text. Here's a woman who is understanding this is who God is. A.W. Tozer said, the greatest thing about you is what you, the, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Nothing could be more important to your life right now than what you know about God. What you know about God affects everything. What you believe about God. Think about the story of the, the ten talents that we looked at just, just a few weeks ago at church. 
One guy got ten, uh, five talents. One guy got three. One guy got one. And the one guy that had five, he turned around and made five more and had ten. The guy that had three uh, doubled his and had six. The guy that had one took his talents and he buried them in the earth and he covered them up and he hid them. The two guys that multiplied their talents, the Lord came back and said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then the Lord came to the guy that buried his talents and he said, What did you do? What did you do? Why did you bury your talents? You know what the guy said back to him? I knew, I knew you were an austere man. I knew that you were harsh. I knew that you were difficult. I knew that you would basically punish me. So I just went and, and, and dug and hid it in the earth. His actions were based upon his lack of knowledge of God. In fact, if that's who you think God is, you'll have a hard time trusting him, loving him, following him, giving to him, sacrificing him. But if you believe that God is who he is... If you believe that he is the king of kings as we've sung about today and the Lord of lords. If you believe that he is fundamentally good and great and mighty and holy and righteous and just. If you believe that he is fundamentally kind and gracious and merciful. If you believe that he is benevolent and gracious to those who do not deserve it. You are going to gladly serve him, worship him, follow him because you're going to know who he is. So she exalts who he is, and then secondly and finally, she exalts what he has done. Notice in verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his handmaid, his maidservant. Behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Watch this, for he who has, is mighty has done great things for me. Boy, it might not be a bad idea for you to mark that one in your Bible. Just personalize it for a second. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Boy, is there not one other person out here today that can agree with what Mary just said there? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you have visited him? What is she saying? He has taken care of me. I am in his remembrance. I may be very little in the eyes of the world, but I am very valuable in the eyes of the one who has made the world. What has she got to sing about? She's an unwed, pregnant teenager. She's got everything to sing about. Why? Because God has seen to personally care for her. And the greatest thing about God that I could share with you this morning is not just how great and mighty and big he is or how uninvolved or separated from humanity is but his greatness is actually seen in his intimacy with you and I listen to Alistair Begg as he describes this we tend to think of greatness in terms of isolation the more money you get the longer you can make your driveway the more secure your neighborhood you can get security fences. If you're really wealthy, you can get security guards. The more status you acquire, the more you can remove yourself from the great ordinary mass of humanity. If people want to get to somebody who's great, they've got to go through official channels. They've got to call the right person. They've got to send the right email. They've got to get on a waiting list. But that's not God. His greatness is revealed in his intimacy with you. He knows your name. He knows about you. He cares about you. 
Your responsibilities, the responsibilities of your life weigh heavy upon him. He knows about the disappointments that gnaw at you and the concerns that keep you awake at night. He knows about your hopes and aspirations and moments that make your heart sing. He knows it all and he cares about it very deeply. I heard a story several years ago reading in a book called When Character Was King by written about Ronald Reagan and his presidency. In this story, or this book, excuse me, it tells a story about one of his lifelong supporters, a dear woman from the state of California who was in her 80s. She received, as a Republican National Convention supporter, she had given $5 a month as long as she could remember, she had received one of those what appeared to be very formal Envelopes of invitation to a celebration at the White House. It had her name on it. It was in that beautiful cream-colored stationery envelope. It was an invitation to the White House to meet her favorite president of all time, Ronald Reagan. She didn't have much. She lived on a fixed income. And so she got herself ready, scraped together some money, bought a train ticket, in coach, of course, So for three days, she rode across the country in a coach train, barely sleeping, got the cheapest flea bag hotel near the White House, spent the night, woke up the next day, put on her very best white dress that now was beige with age. She grabbed her invitation, she put on her best, and she caught a cab over to the gate to get into the White House. And she walked up and presented her invitation to the guard who quickly and abruptly dismissed her because her name was not on the approved registered list for a visit that day. The dear lady was dejected. She walked over and sat on the edge of the gate surrounding the White House. There was a... an executive from Ford Motor Company that was in the line and saw all this take place and he had a connection with one of the insiders and he, he heard everything, he saw everything and he thought to himself, this poor lady's never going to see the president but maybe, maybe, I can, maybe I can get someone in there to get her on some kind of tour where she can at least see the facilities and feel like her trip was worth it. And so he was able to get her on the list shortly thereafter and he got her on one of these tours So this lady gets on this tour with this group of people. He knew she had no chance to get into the Oval Office where the president was. But he thought to himself, it would probably be better than nothing. In fact, it was a terribly busy day. There were... There were all kinds of international conflicts taking place. The president's schedule was full. The the line out the door to get in to see the president was just overwhelming. Somehow, somehow in the middle of this busy and chaotic day, one of the presidential aides actually got word to Ronald Reagan that this had happened to this lady and that she was in the White House and assumed that he could do nothing about it but knew that she was there. And in the middle of this busy and hectic day, this tour group was actually in the West Wing Walking through, 
when all of a sudden military leaders and, and international conflict resolution uh, people were busting out of the doors of the Oval Office and they, they walked out and they're leaving and other groups getting ready to come in and there is the tour group outside and inside the Oval Office they could actually get a peek at Ronald Reagan. He was in there. And Ronald Reagan looked up and he saw the woman perfectly fitting the description that he had been told was in the White House and he called out to her. In the middle of all of these presidential rulers, he called out to her by name and he invited her in. He had them shut the doors behind her and for the next 45 minutes, while the world was burning, President Reagan sat down and talked to this precious lady like she was his long lost best friend. And the writer of the book said, I quote, and this is what made Reagan, Reagan. There was no reason for her to be accepted into the White House. There was no reason for her to be in the Oval Office. Come on. There was no reason for her to be treated like she was treated other than the goodness and the actual greatness of the President. And friend, I don't know about you, but I see myself and that old lady. I see myself kind of sitting outside of the White House, so to speak, dejected, not fit, not dressed right, uninvited. And thank God that the king saw fit to get me welcomed into his house, even though I didn't deserve it. That is what Christmas is actually all about. And friend, I'm here to tell you the king's invitation is open. It is open to every unlikely person with an unlikely story in this room today. And today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus into your life today. And friend, if you are here and you know him, praise God, you have a song to sing. Let's bow our heads for prayer if we could. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I want to give you an opportunity Today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today you would take that moment to trust in Christ as your Savior. The Bible says Christ is God. When Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is the only salvation. Today, I want to invite you, if you've never accepted him, to do what the Bible says, which is call upon the name of the Lord. You can believe and accept him as your Savior right here, right now. In fact, right there in your seat. If you just open up your heart, ask Christ to be your Savior. He will do it. He has promised he will do it. How many of you say, preacher? I've never accepted Christ before, but I'd like to today. Boy, if that's you in your heart, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, yes, I need Jesus. Then why don't you right there in your seat pray and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can do that by simply calling out this prayer to God. You can just repeat it after me. It's not me. It's nothing magical. It's just you expressing to God your need for Him. And you can pray something like this, dear Jesus, 
I know that I'm a sinner. I do not deserve heaven. But I believe in you. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again from the dead. And today, I accept you as my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. Now, how many of you across this room today would say, Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. Praise his name. I just accepted Jesus as my Savior just now. If that's you, would you lift your hand up? Would you do that? God bless you. Amen. Who else? Just hold your hand right up. God bless you. Good. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. I see that hand. It's wonderful. Who else? Preacher, that's me. Pray. I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad that I did. Just hold your hand right up. God bless you. Amen. That's great. It's wonderful. That's wonderful. I want you all to stand. We're going to sing in just a moment. We'll have a worship team come. We're going to have a time of prayer with some new members here this morning as well. Um, as the worship team comes, let me say this. If you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, one of our pastors, one of our church leaders probably saw you and they're going to have a Bible and a book and some gifts to give you as our way of saying thank you and welcome to the family of God. We're thankful for that. We're so thrilled. In fact, uh, we got one. Michael here is going to get baptized. In fact, Michael, why don't you go ahead and get changed, man. We'll get you set. Michael just accepted Christ a couple weeks ago. He's going to get baptized today and there's many others that are being saved and we thank God for that. So. Uh, let's praise God for Michael and his baptism, and then we'll, we'll see him baptized in just a minute. As we close the service, I want to have a special time of prayer during this song. It's called Turn Your Eyes on Jesus. And you know, I spoke in the message that there are, this season is not great for everybody. It's tough. For some people, there's heartbreak and memories, loss. But you can come, you can pray, and if you want to come and pray, somebody would be glad to pray with you today. We want to help you if we can. But I also want to pray with some folks that are coming to join our church today. So I'd like the Worleys and the Rodriguez's and Mickey Cool, if you will come. I want to introduce these new members, if you will, to our church. And I want to have a few of our members come up and pray with them. You know, I've said this before. When we, when we have a new member, we have had somebody join as a new missionary at our church. God uniquely gifted them and equipped them to serve the Lord in this place and I'm thankful for that. And I want to introduce you to him. This is Mickey Cool and I uh, love his last name, man. You got to love that. Mickey's from West Virginia so that's even better. And uh, Mickey has accepted Christ as a Savior. He's been baptized. He's been through our new members class. And uh, I'm so thankful for this day too where Pastor Hector and Cheryl Rodriguez and Brianna are here. How many of you are glad to have our Spanish pastor here? So thankful. And God's already opening up doors and contacts. And uh, on Easter Sunday, 2023, we're going to start uh, the Spanish church with its first service. We'll be having many Bible studies and events 
uh, before them, but this is Hector and Cheryl and their daughter, Brianna, has come. Uh, they've obviously been saved and baptized. They've been through our new members orientation, and they've come to join our church. And this is Mark and his wife, Lacey Worley, and uh, their kids are Taman and uh, Gracie and Millie right here. Millie's my best friend already, as you can tell. And this is Brooklyn, and they just moved here from Texas. And I've told you guys this story before. It's a, it's a great story. God put it on their heart as they saw us planting churches to literally move their family from the only church in town they've ever lived in to come to Jacksonville to be a part of our church. That's a blessing. Amen. You're going you're gonna to love these people. They're awesome. I'm so glad to have you all here. And I need a motion to receive them into membership, May 2nd. All in favor, say amen. Man, I'm excited. This is great. People saved, people baptized, people joining our church. Let's just keep going, okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the worship team come and sing. I want to invite some of you to come. I want some, just, just come. Say a quick word of prayer uh, with these folks. Welcome them to church. And uh, then, of course, if you have a need you want to pray about, I'll be here and available. There's some space over here to pray. But let's go ahead and sing. Let's come and pray with these folks. And let's just end our service with some time of worship.